Today on the Culture Quest, we talk about our favorite album closers for Tavern Talk, our main discussion is about the movie Forrest Gump, and then we introduce the subject of our next episode, the Culture Quest One Year Party Episode. Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. Hello. We are but hum- <laughs> blah, blah. I always feel a need to, to answer, <laughs> like you're saying hello. We are but humble adventurers and we go together like peas and carrots and onions. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Onions? You don't cook peas and carrots with onions? I don't think I would cook carrots and peas in the first place, but... I fucking love peas and carrots. Whoa. Jeez. Whoa. Put that on a mug. <laughs> and I am in honor. <laughs> That's a very, in the very early part of the episode, going explicit. And, and for what? For carrots and peas. That's the hill he wants to die on, Barry. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, peas and carrots, some onions, some, some corn goes well with that, and some rice, maybe some sweet chili sauce. Man, I'm telling you. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. <laughs> Today we're discussing Forrest Gump, a film that was directed by Robert Zemeckis and released in 1994. But we'll get into that a little later because we have some unfinished business to discuss. Let's do some Tavern Talk. Tavern Talk. In a recent Tavern Talk segment, we've discussed our favorite album openers. And we've decided to do something similar and to discuss our favorite album. album closers which makes a lot of sense uh, we'll do the same thing basically we'll each bring up three album closers we'll listen to them we'll share our thoughts about them and we'll talk about what we're looking for in a good uh, album closer what is your definition of a good closer like how wh- wh- what would you expect from a good track that that closes an album mm, I don't really have a theory of it but it needs to be something that strikes this balance for me that doesn't want you the you wanting more in some sense like that sounds like it would be like throwing in the worst songs and then people are, oh well it's over now and you don't have like a regrets about it not having another song but not exactly like that I think it's like you want something that has like in the same way when you're like playing like an instrument and you keep coming back to home which is like your root note you sort of want it to end nicely just by coming back to like the theme of the album like you just want to touch it briefly and not Like, like almost in a good speech, like you want to come back to your main point and then let it sit. Um, you don't want to throw a new style of song in there. You don't want to go for something experimental. I think you want to go for something that like you're really like comfortable with and yeah. Or I find myself looking at two different styles, which is like one is just the short ending one. So, you could say um, two examples would be. I'm almost 100% sure this is at the end, but God Save the Queen by Queen. Yeah. You know it's the end of the album. Like, you're not, you know, it's it's not like the start of an extra set or anything like that. But another one would be from the T for the Tillman album, um, the song mm. called T for the Tillman. By Cat Stevens. Yeah. It's, it's one of those one and a half minute sort of small little bits he's put on the end, like almost like a coda. To the album like an end credit scene almost in album terms mm. or you can go for just something really long like you can go for like um I don't know if you guys know the song but desolation row by Bob Dylan it's like an 11 minute song you can chuck that one on the second side of the album so like once everyone's got used to all the songs you chuck your longest song at the end that's that's another option but 
I think there's a lot of songs you can put at the end. I don't, I don't think it's too narrow, but you, yeah, I think you just definitely don't want to like bring up new ideas and new styles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I don't think I'm necessarily in agreement with you, but I'll, I'll state my case in a second. I, I mm. want to ask you, what, what do you think about the closer in Abbey Road by the Beatles? Because like, I, to me, there, there's the song The End, which yeah. is the, the penultimate song. Which is a perfect closer. What is, how's it go? Her Majesty's... Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, after the end, there's... I don't remember. Like a 20 really seconds. Like to make a Paul McCartney with yeah. the guitar. Really quiet, really. Like, was it... Do you think it's good? Do you think it's needed there? After the perfect closer. I, I like it because it's very novel. That's true. Because the end is like a very... Not super serious, but like it felt like the end of like a, a thing. But then Her Majesty was just like... But we had some good times. I was like, oh, okay. Right. Mm, you that's know? a good point. Yeah. It was ending it on like a happy note. So, To me, a, a good closer, I, I do like the ones that are more experimental and more and like different. And they feel that maybe at first, like they don't fit there. I love albums that finish with a big, long song or... Or something that kind of pumps a last dose of feeling into the album. After I get to know an album well, and I let it sit for a while, and then I come back to it, I often found that I prefer the last song, that it's my favorite song in the album. Oh, okay. It's not exactly... What, what I'm looking is not exactly a taste for more, but maybe more um, kind of summarizing the album. So it, it kind of ends there, but it, it resonates with, with everything you heard so far. So like a good opener gets you in the vibe, and a good closer bring, brings it home. And it shouldn't be like the best song in, in the album necessarily, but it does, you know, closes things. In, in the last episode, when we talked about openers, then one of the things I mentioned was uh, System of a Down, uh, dual album of Mesmerize and Hypnotize. And like the opener and the closer are just done beautifully exactly because of that. They take the element and the vibe that, that the albums start with and brings it home in kind of like this very harmonical, grandiose way. Yeah, and it's not like a song that, you know, kind of brings everything home and kind of summarizes everything. It literally is kind of the same melody and, and, and chord progression, and it's basically the same song with a bit of a different dynamic. It's literally closing a loop, It's more than I a love. bit. It's, it's a completely different... Like, it, it, you know, it's, it's the same lyrics, it's the same chords, but it's, it's even diff- the same it's a, name of the song. Yeah. But it's a different. It's a different one. Yeah, I agree. It's it's it was really nice, and it was a really really nice move on your side cheating on the episode. Well, I did. we were talking about. <laughs> I didn't know openers. we were going to do closers, so I thought that's that's a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys want to listen to some music? Yeah. Yes. Well, let's go the Beatles. I reckon. So, like, th- there's so many songs I like at the end, but there's songs that I like and I like them more because they're at the end. And one of the ones for me that I just wouldn't want anywhere else in the album is um, "A Day in the Life." I think I actually know this song. What do you mean you actually know this song? I don't know a lot of Beatles songs. <laughs> <laughs> And this summarizes the album, right? What, which album is that? This one's off Sgt. Pepper's. Mm. I don't know if it really summarizes the album. I don't think it goes to my theme 
of like <laughs> not bringing up new stuff because this is like one of their the best songs and they just slammed it right at the end. Yeah, there's some kind of changes in the middle, right? Yeah, it's super weird. And at the end, there's a bit um, like there's a, there's a long gap at the end of silence, and then there's a bit where there's sort of like a repeating bit of song, like a, a repeating sequence of sort of. Um, the same line over and over again played like at a bit of an odd speed mm-hmm. and John Lennon decided to put that in there because then because back in the day obviously everyone's listening to it on vinyl people would think that their vinyl screwed up because it's it's just playing the same thing they're like oh it must be on a loop or like the needles like you know doing something stupid so <laughs> but yeah I, I imagine that was a that was like a big sort of gotcha back then <laughs> the original troll yeah, yeah. John Lennon. <laughs> that's that's the word I was looking for, a troll, yeah. <laughs> what makes this uh, uh, one of your favorite closers? Well, there there is the bit at the end with the troll, but besides that, I think it's like... I don't know, this this is... The whole album was a little bit... Not tongue-in-cheek, but they, they were definitely taking the advantage of using like a different band name, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And they were sort of assuming a different identity. Like, they weren't doing the same songs about their own life, you know? But um, this one is, like... This this is just a very odd song. Like, it, it's it's sort of about them, and it's sort of not. And it, it's very confusing. And I think it's one of those ones where they've just tried to leave you as confused as possible at the end, you know? Whereas if this was put in the middle or the start... You'd be like, what the hell? And then, like, you'd just be listening to all these other songs where they're just regular songs. So, it's sort of like if you're... Hmm, how, how do I put this? Like, say you're trying to join the Illuminati, right? And you think you know someone that's in the Illuminati and you're having a conversation <laughs> about, you know, other things. So, like, oh, what cigars do you smoke and stuff? And then you go, oh, hey... um, Am I going to get a tap on the shoulder for the Illuminati? You can't say that. <laughs> and if the case is he's not in the Illuminati, the cigar talk is not going to occur after that. That that's pretty much end of conversation. But this is like, it's like it's like a red flag. So they've given you the whole album. And they say, well, okay, if people are going to be scared off, then at least they've heard every other mm, song. Nah, that makes sense. I don't know how necessary the Illuminati talk was, but it's in there now. Uh, it's kind of hard to judge a closer without listening to the whole album, obviously. It's not like an opener where you just get the first minute of the album. But I really, really like this. It's weird. It's big. It's it's. It feels like we're, we're done. I like it a lot. Yeah, but like you're either going to love it or hate it. And I'm surprised that not many people do hate it. Mm. There's, there's a lot of... I might be way off here, but a lot of McCartney's charm in this song. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One of my favorite artists in all time is Damien Rice. And Damien Rice is uh, like this Irish... Oh. Uh, ...song. You can't say that word. <laughs> can't say... Peter hates that word. Nah, mate, he doesn't know. Oh. It's just an odd word. But yeah, that's nah, all good. He's a sad, <laughs> sad scene. No, I'm sorry. This word <laughs> is banned from this podcast. <laughs> Peter, Peter sent me a text earlier saying he hates this word. So... <laughs> That's it. The word is banned. Okay. It's like the go-to <laughs> word in English class when you can't use sad and you're like, mm. 
All right. <laughs> he literally said the word you texted me about, like in the first 10 minutes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You can you can bleep me. It it will be it will be funny if you bleep me if you bleep me. Yeah. Not the the fuck that you say. No 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 no. You said earlier. Then you have to bloop everything else, and then they won't know what word we're actually talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sorry for stopping you there. <laughs> yeah. So so we got Devin Rice, which is a, a bleep. Uh, songwriter and a singer <laughs> and he's really touching and, and again there, he got several albums there's a discussion among the fans if the first or second one is better um, I gotta say that there's something really special about the first one and I think it, it it's exactly what you said before you know like it's it's kind of hard to to understand the last song if you didn't hear the whole album but I do think it's it's got some some charm to it that even if you didn't listen to Like imagine you've been through this whole journey, right? And then you end up at, at this place. Tiredness fuels Empty thoughts Find myself Disposed Brightness fuels Empty space in search I like this song, yeah. It's good. Yeah. It kind of feels like going to sleep. Yeah. The previous song ends in a really big note, and this kind of sneaks you in. And it also, like, it's being built, especially with the, you know, with the cello. This does feel like a last song of in an album So uh, I'll move a, a bit forward. Wow, this is really good. Yeah. I maybe could have done without the opera singing, but yeah, I, man, that, that was really I good. I admit that, that it, like, on the first listen, I, I thought it's, <laughs> it's a bit absurd, like it's, it's a bit too much. But I gotta say that, that as, as more as I listen to, to that, it adds up really nicely. Like, you get this really obvious mental image of, you know, someone sailing... On a raft and then there's like this mm. uh, uh, you know north lights all over the sky and it's really big and very very dramatic and then it you know it sinks back to being a small guy on a small raft in a big sea and just drawing away so it, it, it kind of it emphasizes the before and after more than the actual 
the actual part. So yeah, I think it's a yeah, that, beautiful that's a closer. Go, yeah, great, really good uh, closer. Um, the song, the, the first song I want to play is uh, uh, from Tom Waits. Uh, this is Tom Waits' first album. Uh, it came out in 1973. And it's a four-minute instrumental track that features a piano and a trumpet. And uh, the album, which is you know, one of my all-time favorites, it, it feels, the whole album kind of feels like the soundtrack of a small, dirty, and mostly empty bar. You know, it's, it's a bit folky, a bit jazzy, a bit bluesy. And it's, mo- it's mostly quiet and personal, the, the, the album. And this song, especially after listening to the whole album, has the, the exact feeling of, you know, being drunk and alone in a bar that is about to close and knowing that you have to go home now. It's blue, it's sad, it, it feels like the small hours of the night. It feels like you know you'll find yourself back here again fairly soon. And it's instrumental. It doesn't need any words to tell that story. It feels like the middle of the night. <laughs> Late in, in the night and drunk as hell. Yeah, like wandering the streets. Yeah. Uh, I really connect with this song. And also the trumpet just sounds great. Yeah. Especially, like, after listening to the whole album, this song feels like you've just spent a whole evening drinking in a bar and talking to people and listening to different stories and everything, and it's closing time. I like it. It does feel like the end. They're very distinctly end songs, I um, think, all of ours. Um, so uh, I'm going to try to go to the... Um, area of music with um, <laughs> this next song and okay so I'll just I'm just gonna play it and see <laughs> um, so you think but I think it's just so sad and a bit depressing but um, why not so this is a um, this is from an artist where you recently looked at an album of if you can try to guess. in its right place yeah yeah but 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 cleaner and less less experimental weird. yeah yeah exactly I really love the clean sound which album is that off Peter this one's off their 2016 album a moon shaped pool mm. really really solid album it actually ranks pretty highly in Rolling Stone as well I believe Again, it's hard to, to kind of um, judge this without listening to the whole album, but it sounds like like a great closer. Mm. Well, I'll say with the bit of piano that's sort of coming in there, that's very reminiscent of the end of the album. It's like 
before that it was a new song and but with the piano it's it it the this the album features a lot of piano and a lot of those sort of raindrop sort of esque sounds and yeah it it definitely feels like definitely part of the album it's 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 not too far off but it's a lot slower and a lot more dramatic so really really good album really good album all right, what do you got, Barrio? Have we got any not depressing ones? <laughs> well, it's it's less depressing. It's still a bit of uh, acoustic, I guess, but uh, less less depressing. Okay, my last one is also a little depressing. <laughs> 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 my latest sin, Asaf Avidan. So actually, that's not the song because we need to seek for the hidden track. That, that's Asaf Avidan's second album. Yeah, poor boy, lucky man. He's a great singer. Yeah. Got this Janis Joplin vibe in his voice. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Another season's changing. I'm just getting old. The seeds of spring are spreading. What love no man can hold. This leaves you with a taste for a, for a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> But close nicely. It's like an open ending. <laughs> I think I think that's what we like about our endings that they don't really end. You know, it kind of yeah. You get maybe. you get the feeling of maybe you finished a chapter, but there's a whole a whole lot after that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta bless you. We gotta stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, the next one I want to play is called uh, Lo- The Long Road Home uh, by Whitey Morgan and the 78s uh, from the, the, the album Whitey Morgan and the 78s from 2006. Ooh. And this is the last song on a honky-tonk country album. Hmm. And I, I listen to country music every once in a while. And uh, Peter, I think you've mentioned before that You really don't like country at all, but I'll, I can recommend an album or two if you're interested. Oh, yeah. I probably would have said that. It sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> like, I had a really hard time with this album at first, uh, when I just got, uh, got, got to know it at first. Mm. But I gave it another chance during this long car ride in the middle of the night a few years ago, mm. and I fell in love with it. And this song, The Long Road Home, it comes after... 10 two or three minute songs okay. you know like country lively fun country songs like you imagine it you know with fiddles and and slide guitars and everything mm. and this brings it all down like this is a five minute song which relatively is long it's it's heavier it's slower and I don't know I, I used to listen to this album and sometimes skip this song because it felt out of place in a way but Like, it's totally different from the rest of the album but on the times I would let it play I found that it fit perfectly and it, it, by definition this is a closer like no one will ever listen to the whole album and listen to this and still think there's 
another song coming up. And once I got used to having this song close this album, I always enjoyed how it slows everything down before letting you go on with your business, kind of. Like I said, I like songs that are way different than the rest of the album. Yeah. And this is, like, nothing, n- nothing else in the album sounds like this. That's fair. And it works for me. It needs some getting used to, but it works. Yeah, no, I actually like it, just on the first listen, actually. I really didn't like his voice at first, but, again, I got used to it, and, and, and I love it now. I love his singing. I wish I could sing like that. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> you sound exactly the same, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my next one is like not super depressing, but it, uh, actually I don't, it doesn't feel depressing. It's just the name, the name is a little bit depressing and like the lyrics are, but like in the tone, it's like, might be right. You guys can, you guys can judge, but this is one of those ones where it just drags on and on and on like Desolation Road. And, um, it's also by Bob Dylan. So, but it's even a longer song, I think. What, no, no Zeppelin songs? No Zeppelin songs. They do have a oh. few good ones, but <laughs> this needed yeah. to be here. With your mercury mouth In the missionary town it doesn't feel that sad, but... Uh, I don't think it's sad. Bob Dylan, sad-eyed lady of the lowlands? Yeah. <laughs> so it has the word sad in the title, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe he's happy that she's sad. <laughs> that bastard. <laughs> and he said that this is a long song. Uh, yeah, I think it's about 11 minutes, maybe just over. Um, and yeah, it's just this the whole time. It, there's no, like, breakdown in the middle where there's, like, a rap or something. It's all this. <laughs> like a rap. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I just like that it just drags on. Like, you know, it's, um, I don't know, there's something about just having it go on and on and on that just hammers the message home. I totally agree. Like, um, there's a, a Nick Cave song, the last one from uh, Dig Lazarus Dig. It's, it's, I think, an eight or nine minute song, and it's just kind of the same from beginning mm. to end. And kind of like this, it's not a fast or slow song it's not a loud or quiet song it's all everything is yeah. somewhere in the middle but it's it, it works. just feels like a jam yeah um if you're just in the studio right you're just like oh well let's just play the same chords over and over and just i'll just sing what i think you know like and then it just goes on as long as it needs to this one's a little bit like that because yeah. i i believe if the rumors are true um i think he just called up the band and just said just play something and I'll just, I've got a notepad, I'll just sing, you know, what I've got. And then, so this is like, you know, it wasn't composed essentially, but he just, um, he just went on, I'm sure he just said, put play it in 4-4 four, four or whatever it is and just popped it out. So, yeah. yeah, I think it was maybe a first take. Yeah, I can totally imagine it. Like the band is just in the groove, you yeah. know, just closing their eyes, playing the, the same yeah. 
uh, chords yeah. in the loop. Yeah, I bet like seven minutes in, they were just like, "Jeez, guys, how how long? <laughs> like, I've got I got shit to do." <laughs> I know other chords. <laughs> like, there's that guy that would have just been playing that little. Um, <laughs> that little tambourine that one hit every four bars or whatever he's just like going fucking hell uh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got Mario? I had to bring some soundtrack from a musical because they obviously got mm. the best closers The Greatest Showman which is one of one of the best musicals I've, I've seen recently yeah you love it yeah I do I do I don't remember if I did I put anything there uh, for the openers I don't think so but he mentioned it in one of our lockdown mm. episodes uh, I think in the one where we talked about stuff to do in, under a lockdown that's interesting you know because they got one of the best openers I've ever I've ever heard and, and also one of like a really good closer the greatest showman is it's like a, a movie musical uh, with you Jackman and uh, The whole setting is um, of some the, the guy who invented invented the circus and kind of brought all those um, misfits and and uh, people into the circus and, and gave them a home and he and he kept chasing success right and, and and then he realizes that he did it too far and and he needs to kind of go back and uh, you know appreciate his family and whatnot like this movie is amazing uh, except the actual plot. <laughs> <laughs> like the the acting is good the, the 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 music is awesome the choreography is just out of this world but don't really need to pay a lot of attention to uh to the plot um i drink champagne with kings and queens the politicians praised my name those were someone else's dreams the pitfalls of the man I became for years and years I chased their cheers a crazy speed of always needing more but when I stop and see you here I remember who all this was for By the way, this is you, Jackman, right? This is Wolverine singing. Mm. You can do everything, can't you? Now I'm imagining literally Wolverine singing this. Oh, that's satisfying. It starts tonight. another kind of open ending like they're opening a new page or they're getting ready for something new so that's really good so powerful yeah, isn't it? really really good cool. very much yeah oh my turn yeah the closer the closer of the closers yeah I'm Come gonna on. close strong we're, we're gonna <laughs> close with one of my favorite guitar solos ever mm. um, but before that there's like 12 minutes of music and Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is called April by Deep Purple from the album Deep Purple from 1969. And this is a 12-minute song that is kind of hard to describe. Like, I don't think I'll do this song justice with my words. And I can't play and talk over the whole thing, so I really urge everyone to go and give this a listen. 
Um, this closes one of the earlier Deep Purple albums, which I think is a good album, but I think you can tell that the band is still developing their sound a bit. It's a bit of a personal choice for me, because when I started developing my own taste in music, when I was like, I don't know, 14, and I made my first mix CD, and, you know, that had like 10 songs on it, this was one of them. Like, I've been listening to this song for years and years. And this mm. song, April, for eight and a half minutes, is like this instrumental rock symphony. It, it has an orchestra and everything. And, you know, it builds up, it builds down, and there's a lot of atmosphere mm. and everything. And then I'm gonna skip ahead a bit. I'm gonna skip to eight minutes and 40 seconds, where it turns from a kind of a rock symphony. I don't know if symphony is the right word, but you know, from, from this kind of instrumental with an orchestra to a rock song. Oh, oh I love this. And it turns into this rock song, which has you know, it's kind of the same music, but with a full rock band, with electric guitars, with drums. And it, it has such a sad and frustrated feel to it. It talks about, you know, gray skies and, and not being able to mm. deal with, I think it's a breakup song. I'm not sure. And then I'm going to skip ahead a bit further to 11.06. It, it ends with a, a guitar solo by Richie Blackmore, and it's one of my favorite ever like my top guitar solos of all times ready Okay, so this fortnight we did um, Forrest Gump, the movie, based on a book. It's one of those films that will sort of always be referenced constantly. So, it is an annoying film not to have watched (laughs) and it's a great film to watch. So, um, I'm just going to start with the plot summary because there's so much to go through because it really does traverse someone's whole life. It's hard to summarize because it's not based around sort of one thing, but it's it's more of a story of just someone's existence. But I'll, I'll try to cover the main points. So the movie sort of poster or the movie thumbnail will show Tom Hanks sitting on a bus bench, which is basically where the movie's set because most of the movie he's just rehashing flashbacks until a certain point in the movie and then we're sort of going for a brief moment in the present and then we sort of go into not flash forwards but I guess the time just moves a little bit quicker and then we sort of go in and we're sort of in the present but um, okay so he's in a um, bus bench in Georgia and um, different strangers sort of come and go 
um, throughout the movie. So he's he's missed probably ten buses, <laughs> I imagine. Um, either that or the bus he's on is just uh, <laughs> has a really bad timetable because you know it's two yeah. hour two and a half hour movie and he was sitting there for most of it. So. Anyway, the logisticians can figure that one out. So, the first big flashback is of him as a child with his um, single mother. And it's discovered that Forrest has an IQ of about 75. So, um, it's not like disabled, but like very low. And he also has braces on his legs, which I've never actually really seen before. But he's not paralyzed, but to be able to like stand up and walk, he needs to have like essentially crutches but they're sort of built in um to his, it's to his get, legs it's to get his back straight his back is uh... crooked as a politician yeah <laughs> and then there's this moment on on the school bus where he's looking for a place to sit down and obviously everyone can just see that he's um got an iq of 75 <laughs> and <laughs> uh, no they can see his braces on his legs and you know just primary school is just a troubled time or elementary school as you guys might say and so no one's letting him sit down until he looks down directly to his right which how do you miss but anyway um this girl called jenny is like oh do you want to sit next to me obviously didn't see the braces that's that's her fault really and um Anyway, so they sit next to each other and then this friendship grows and they just hang out all the time. So, they're just friends from the moment they met and after quite a few years of friendship when they're a little bit older, Forrest is um, chased by like a bunch of... On, it was on bikes, right? The first time? Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, he's he's running to get away and obviously he's not running very fast because he's got <laughs> these braces on and eventually... Am I getting it right that his braces fall off yep. that time? Exactly. Okay, yeah. So, he's running as fast as he can and then eventually braces give way and he's just running. So, either solve some back problems or just, just something's obviously occurred where now he doesn't need the braces. And he's actually turns out to be a very good runner. So, he gets on the University of Alabama football team which sort of gets him into also the army. And this is where, this is like the first of like a series of events where, or maybe, maybe not the, f- the first one, but the, uh, there is a series of events where he's sort of appearing in historical events. So one of them is, I think it was, it was the one in University of Alabama where, the, where they, like they stopped a black couple entering the university. Anyway, so um, where was I? So he was sent to Vietnam with the U.S. Army. Some great music is played there. Uh, all all the classic rock songs like um, Credence Clearwater Survival, The Fortunate Son, Take a Walk on um, the Wild Side, uh, Jimi Hendrix, um, Pebbleways or something else. There's a Beach Boys songs there. It's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So he meets Bubba there. They're sort of just army mates. They talk about starting sort of like a shrimp boat together. And as soon as Bubba said that he would be starting a shrimp boat, I don't know why, but I just knew he was he was a goner. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but as soon as he said that, I just I just knew. And anyway, so Bubba was killed, but he manages to save his lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan. He gets the Medal of Honor, and whilst he's sort of back from war, he starts playing table tennis and gets absurdly good, like insanely good, and he sort of has this... Um, relationship with China and at one stage he gets sort of like this $25,000 grant to endorse like their um, ping pong bats then 
a lot of plot, obviously, is occurring <laughs> in between these moments, but he actually does end up doing the shrimp boat idea, but he does it with Lieutenant Dan, who they sort of, they make up their relationship. Um, originally, um, Lieutenant Dan was quite angry that he saved his life. He wanted to die in war like all of his ancestors. Um, eventually, they do start the shrimping boat, and a series of luck essentially lands them in the position where they just get really successful with the shrimp boat, and Dan ends up investing in Apple for them. I forget the line, but there's something about like investing in a fruit company or something. <laughs> anyway, so they become very, very wealthy overnight, essentially. Forrest proposes to Jenny, but Jenny sort of doesn't feel like she's worthy, or maybe you guys have an opinion on that, but we'll get back to it. Um, so she says no, and um, he goes for a bit of a jog. Yeah, a bit of a jog. A bit of a jog, <laughs> I think, sums it up. He jogs for about three years, which is, I think, one of my favourite films, <laughs> my favourite movies in the film, but it should be made into a full-length film. <laughs> um, now I think of it. Anyway, then we sort of get to this point where... He's told all the flashbacks, and now we're at the present moment, and then a lady f- kindly informs him the two-hour bus wait wasn't needed, <laughs> and he can just jog over, and it will take less than three years, as per <laughs> Google Maps. So, he jogs over to see Jenny, and there's a little little kid there, and originally you think, oh, maybe she's doing babysitting or something like that, but no, it turns out it's actually Forrest and Jenny's kid um, from sort of a night they got together. A while ago, they're together for a little bit, but uh, Jenny becomes sick with um, what I think you're meant to infer is HIV, I believe. It, there was, I think she's sick in 1981, and there was a big sort of um, global outbreak of HIV. I think the, the author of the original book said it's uh, hepatitis C, but uh, yeah, I, I don't oh, okay. really know. Yeah. Okay, sure. I thought, because um, I think 1981 was the day when like HIV went from very remote to like very, very global. So, but yeah, anyway, so she dies and we sort of go back to um, the bus stop um, again where where it started, except this time um, Forrest has, has got the sun to take care of. So it's sort of like very circular. Like we, we just came back to the start and, you know, he's, he's talking to his son saying, you know, go out there, go get him and stuff like that. So... Something that I kind of felt was that there's no one thing for the movie. You know, it's like, there's no like one thing that just is the bit that we're after. It, it's the whole movie. You know, it's the whole experience of Forrest Gump. So, what did you guys think of it? I don't know where where to start. I love that the motive of life is like a box of chocolates. It's going throughout the entire movie, and like every time you see that, even though he's a simple man and he's still gets the best out of life and he's not like blissfully stupid he's he's having a roller coaster of emotions and the way that they kind of like entangle it uh with the american narrative of of different events throughout you know the 60s 70s i loved it it was a really a really good way of uh of of, of doing it and it doesn't seem when they added them to certain uh, you know, videos of historical event. It didn't. It didn't look cheesy as it does look today. Like a lot of movies do it, but it doesn't feel cynical. No, not at all. Yeah, that's that's kind of like my very basic uh, impression. I, as I mentioned when we introduced the subject uh, near the end of our last episode, I said I watched this movie when I was really young. You know, before I started watching it now, I realized that 
even when I did see this as a kid, I think I joined someone who was already watching it, so I started in the middle, and I don't think I ever finished it back then. So when I start watching it now, I try to think of what I remember from the movie. And my impressions, my, my memories of the movie was that it, it was a fun, happy little story about a, a guy who goes on all kinds of adventures. And when I watch it now, I quickly realize that it's, it's not exactly that. <laughs> like, it doesn't take a long while until we're told that, like, Forrest's dad is not in the picture, that his mom had to sleep with the school principal to get Forrest some education, and that Jenny's dad is a fucking awful son of a bitch. And then throughout the movie, all kinds of things are happening, and it's not just fun and adventures, and it's not just a nice story. I was hypnotized by this film. I didn't even notice how long it was until it was over. I enjoyed it a lot. It has a really cool concept in that, you know, uh, Forrest is somehow in or around all of those uh, cultural moments or historical events that we all recognize. Uh, the character of Forrest is really sweet. Like, everything that makes him different, the fact that he's slow, the fact that he, I don't know, can't concentrate uh, on too many things at once, the fact that he doesn't really know how to read people... It all builds up to create a really loving, really sweet character. And the story itself explores a bunch of interesting themes. It's serious, and it's sad, and it's funny and happy and flowing all at once. This movie stayed with me for a while. Like, I kept thinking about it for a few days. And it really brought out uh, a sensitive side uh, of me for a bit. Because... For a few days after after seeing that movie, every little thing I saw on YouTube or Reddit or anywhere else that had a bit of a positive side kind of made me well up with tears. Uh, do you guys want to talk about, like, interpretations of the movie? Yeah, sure. There's, like I said, a bunch of themes and a lot of uh, things to talk about with this movie. But, you know, after having watched the movie and reading a bunch of ways that the people have analyzed it and, and opinions of all kinds of people and stuff. I think there's two main ways to interpret this movie. And I'll start with the one that I don't connect with as much. So the first interpretation of the movie is about the whole kind of every character represents a part of America story. Like Forrest character stands for, you know, the simple, hardworking, all-American guy. And Miss Gump, Forrest's mom, is, is the American family values and Lieutenant Dan is the American mil militaristic side and Bubba is the entrepreneurial spirit of America and Jenny is the America that is trying to get back on its feet after a few hard decades and obviously that combined you know with all the political events that Forrest witnessed all of this can be interpreted as political commentary which I'm not going to get too deep into because I'm not really knowledgeable about but you know while you can take a lot of commentary from the movie I think it's not the intention of the movie's creator because uh, the producer, Steve Tisch, um, he said that the movie is not about politics or conservative values. It's about humanity, respect, tolerance, and unconditional love. And second of all, according to something I've read, politicians from both sides of the political spectrum have identified with Forrest and thought he represents their way of thinking. <laughs> so I don't know, if, if all kinds of political opinions are uh, kind of derived from this movie, then I, I don't like thinking that this movie is about politics at all. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think they do that with so many movies. Every movie that is has just some sort of like meaning-related thing, like something about lo meaning in life, then suddenly like a lot of people try to hijack it to say, oh, this is, you know, this represents like democracy, this represents like 
you know, war and it, it's like one of those common things that people try to do. Like it, it's like this weird thing that non-psychologists think they can tap into, you know, but um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't buy that at all. But um, cause like if, if you're trying to like write a book or write a movie and stuff like that, I can see like, if you're, like, people are, are very influenced by, like, things in the world. So, obviously, some people end up being sort of caricatures of parts of um, of America, yeah. you know? Like, say, um, using Jenny as, as an example of, like, tr- America trying to get back on its feet or something like that. Like, often people do, like, sort of embody that. Like, a lot of people do, um, do those things. It's not – it just doesn't mean that everything – everything in his life is just some sort of abstraction from what America is or something. So, but um, I, I don't know. I couldn't even name a good movie that does that. Cause I know there are some movies that do it, but one, it's just not many, like there's a false positive rate. That's quite high, but also like, it's not something that I would, if someone did that, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think that's like very attractive when you actually think about it because if if someone's whole character is just based on some aspect of society, it's I don't know. It's kind of detracting from the actual characters, you know. Like ideally, you want people not to be caricatures. You want them to actually have like multiple sides and a bit deeper than that, which they are in this movie. It's hard because there are so many characters, but they do they do it pretty well. Like every character has like an ethic, and every character has some sort of effect on on Forrest. Yeah. I think it's easy to put this movie in the, the box of like a political movie, but I, I think that, that doing that is missing the whole point. And the, the second interpretation is the um, kind of Forrest is a feather blowing in the wind story or the everyone has a destiny and it's often unfair story. Because like Barry mentioned, there's a famous quote, uh, life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. And I think this theme of, of destiny, of is it random or is it controlled or is it predetermined, is, is um, explored by comparing Forrest to the rest of the characters. Because uh, the story compares Forrest's attitude towards his destiny with the other characters. Like Forrest is like the feather we see in the beginning and the end of the movie. Like the movie starts with a feather floating and everyone's kind of... Yeah, they ignore it. Uh, and, and Forrest is the only one that like takes it and picks it up. And and there's a theory that, you know, the, the feather represents Forrest. You know, he's flowing on the wind and he goes wherever life takes him. And everyone else is kind of different. Like Jenny, she wants to be famous and loved and she's trying to fight her destiny and, and kind of change it. You know, the way I see it... She maybe in another life she could have been famous and and loved, but she was broken from the beginning because of her father's abuse, and she never had a chance. You know, she was looking for a better life in all the wrong places. She had a lot of like self-destructive properties to her. And Dan wants to die in a war and keep his ancestors' tradition in a way. Like he thinks his destiny is predetermined, and he wants to live up to it. And when it doesn't happen. He's broken by it. And, you know, I think after years of confusion and frustration, living with Forrest and kind of learning from him, he manages to make peace with his destiny. And he ends up, you know, being happy and finding love. And Baba, he wants to open a shrimping business, like you mentioned, but he dies before he gets the chance to do that. And I think that this shows that even good people get dealt shitty hands in the game of life. And Forrest is different. 
He doesn't have a set goal. He doesn't have like a, a finish line that he's trying to get to. He, he lives in the moment and he always does what seems like the best thing to do now in the moment. And, and this sets him apart from everyone because in a way it, it allows for us to not, not control his destiny. Like obviously you can't control your destiny, but it allows him to accept what happens to him and be happy with any consequence. And it gives the illusion that good things keep happening to him, you know? And Forrest's mom represents an interesting position. Like, she knew what Forrest shows us all along. She tells him from the beginning and still on her deathbed that life isn't fair. But if you do your very best, if you work hard, you will be rewarded. You know, she, she, she tells him, she keeps telling him, you're not different, you're... You're, you're not special and you just have to work hard and do your best and, and love the people around you and, and accept what happens to you and you will be rewarded. And like the movie hints at the fact that maybe some things in life are randomized and some things are predetermined. Like Forrest, he mentions it at the end. Uh, I think it's the last scene. And his mother also, before she dies, she says, I was destined to be your mama. And also, I happen to believe that you make your own destiny. And she obviously didn't make destiny give her a child like Forrest, but she made the very best out of it, and she was very much rewarded for it. So, like, to put it in the context of the, the theme, I think that everyone in the movie are feathers, you know, they all float on the wind and life takes them where it takes them, but Forrest is the only one that enjoys the ride, if you know what I mean. Like, instead of trying to, to change the direction of the wind, he goes where it takes him, and, and he's happy. I think what you just said was the deep purple guitar solo of this podcast. That was just, yeah. that was great. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe that's kind of like the, the core issue of existing, right? You're, you're always kind of in conflict with, with things. And because you have, you have expectations of what you want to make out of yourself or, or out of your life. And like Forrest, he doesn't expect anything. Right, like everything he goes into life, it's something that you know he's doing it because he needs to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to do it. Uh, maybe other than running, and also that kind of become automatic. It's not. It's not something that he really thought about, and the and the implication is just doing what's right for him now. Yeah, exactly. Like what's right for him now? Jenny told him to run to escape those kids. What's right for him now is to go to college, to go to the army. Uh, to play ping pong, to buy a shrimp boat, to mow the lawn at, at the end because he has enough money and, and he enjoys it right now. He doesn't have like any significant uh, things that he aspires to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's beautiful because like like you said, he does everything kind of spontaneously because people kind of tell him to do things and he just does them. Like the, he goes to the army because someone gave him a pamphlet that says like the US army needs you or something or Someone told him not to take his eyes off the ping pong ball. So he just became the best ping pong player of all time. He just <laughs> never took his eyes off the ball. He did that until someone told him to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just needed the command, you know, to make him the best. Yeah. It's like his mind isn't cluttered by anything. He's not distracted by anything. He's just focused on the last thing someone told him to do. Yeah. But that changes, like, when he knows that there's something to do. Like, uh, there's a moment where, you know, his platoon in Vietnam is being attacked and everyone around him dies. And, you know, he starts saving all the wounded soldiers and everything. And, and there's a point where Lieutenant Dan 
literally gives him an order to stay back and, and stay alive. And it's an order. And, and he breaks that order because he knows there's something right to, to do. You know, he's, he has to find Bubba. Mm. Uh, he has to save his friend. So it's like he's willing to go for the ride. He's willing to, you know, just do whatever people tell him unless he knows there's something important and right to do. I, I think it's beautiful. Mm. I, think, I think along with the create your own destiny, which I actually kind of take a bit of issue with because if you're sort of constantly creating your own destiny, then the, the word destiny sort of is watered down to the point where it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But um, I think there's also like another one, which is like everyone's sort of running their own race, mm. you know, and like the only thing you can really compare your experience to is is yourself because you're never going to be exactly. somewhere else or someone else and w- life is just going to deal you a hand. And that's it. If you haven't got pocket aces, then don't play like you've got pocket aces, you know. And if you have got pocket aces, then cherish it, you know. Totally agree. But uh, in terms of, of uh, creating your own destiny, I think when you say create your own destiny, like I said, it's, it's a bit of an illusion. You know, Forrest doesn't create his own destiny. He accepts it. He, he learns to live with it. Mm. So, you know, he ends up being rich and happy and surrounded by people he loves. And, you know, it kind of seems like he's creating it. But no, he's just making the best out of every situation. Yeah, I think I think that sharpens it up a little bit. Yeah. Like um he's not he's not setting goals like the car he wants to buy and like or the or like the perfect relationship or something like that. Like that's not what he's trying to do, but he's he's accepting it in one sense. Like he's accepting the hand he gets, but he almost like in a in a um philosophical approach, he's just he's emotionally responding as if like um or he's he's responding based on um you know um what's best for him like yeah. in the moment not saying well exactly. you know i've got i've got like this you know $10,000 junk car well i'm not going to ever have a you know a maserati or something like that so let's like let's have the most joy we can have yeah. with this car you know so so in one sense he's accepting life as as it is but in another like more of an internal dialogue. He's sort of saying, "Well, the material factors around me, I can, I can still the same material factors. I can, I can have a much different experience depending on how I look at it." And also, he knows he wasn't dealt pocket aces. Yeah. You know, he, yeah, he hears like in the beginning of the movie. He knows that he's slow. He knows that he's not exactly normal. He's not average. It's so sad. I don't know, it, it kind of moved me at the end where he meets uh, Forrest oh, Jr. Man. And he asks, is he smart or something like that? And that's so touching because I think that's kind of like the, maybe one of the only time, like, like he's so strong usually, but that's one of the, maybe the, the only time in, in the entire movie where, where he actually cries. That's his weakest spot. I think that and the time he's in front of the grave yeah. um, for yeah. Jenny. But, so, but, but yeah, but those the two. Gra- the Jenny's grave is after. So when he meets Forrest Jr. is the, f- exactly. the first first time. But it's not the only, you're right. 100%, yeah. yeah. Um, like he's, he's excited. Like he realized he never thought that he will have a son. Nonetheless, with Jenny, nonetheless, not with his condition. So, I, I don't know, really, really touching. Yeah, it broke my heart. Like, he never talks. Uh, he knows, like we said, he, he, he knows that he wasn't dealt a good hand. Yeah. But he never 
talks about it. He never really references it. He always says, stupid is as stupid does. But at that moment, he, he totally opens up. Like he, he sees his child and the, the first thing that he thinks is, is he smart or is he like me? And when he, he realizes that he's smart, he's, Jenny tells him he's the smartest in his class or something. I don't know. He just... So happy. So he is like me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, that moment really broke my heart. Uh, beautiful stuff. So I think that kind of in the end of the movie, in the end of the story, all of the stories of the different characters are complete. You know, like it's not exactly a happy ending for everyone or for anyone really. But like Baba's dream of opening a shrimping business is realized by Forrest. And Dan, you know, after having spent time with Forrest, he learns to accept everything that happened to him and he becomes happy. And Jenny, having known Forrest for a long time and also having a piece of Forrest in her life, in Forrest Jr., I think she realizes that her life was a mess after all these years and she even apologizes for everything she's done for Forrest through the years. So that story also is complete. And Forrest, despite having lost Jenny and Baba, he got to live a fulfilling life and everything he's rewarded with is somehow connected to his friends. You know, like Bubba was the inspiration for the business and Dan helped him run it to a point where they don't need to worry about money. And Jenny, she eventually reciprocated Forrest's love and also gave him Forrest Jr., a, a version of Forrest that is as loving and pure as his father, but is she, it, he has something that Forrest will never have. That's what we've mentioned. He's smart. Um, I don't know, it's a complicated ending. You know, some things were lost and some were gained. There's a lot of good and bad mixed together. But I think all in all, I think it's an optimistic ending, as sad as it is. Yeah, I do think as well, yeah. I thought that Jenny was a very interesting character. You know, like I, I've seen the movie a couple of times and then I saw it and um, I've never paid attention to her as, as much. Like you don't get it from, from the first watch of the movie. But she's incredibly complicated and she's changing like pretty much every scene. She is a whole different person. She starts like this small little hmm. innocent girl and then she goes to that college but and she makes up with the with the guy in the car. Like she she's always on the on the dark side of things, right? But she's very, very different. And one of the things that I found moving about her character is is again kind of like the, the final scenes with her where she seems peaceful, you know, she's got the kid, she's working at wherever she does, maybe a waitress, but she also, I don't know, she's got like this very tired vibe. She's, she's at peace, but she's tired. She, she found the last thing that she wants to do, but she's ready to kind of wrap it all up. And after you see the journey that she goes throughout the movie and all the pain she, she endured, I don't know, it's, it got something very calming about it, I think. Yeah, you're right. You know, throughout the movie, she always told Forrest stuff like, you don't know what love is, or you don't want to marry me. And she keeps telling Forrest that his perspective of things is wrong. But after everything, after she realized that her life was, you know, she was abused, she, her life was a mess, and, and she kind of did find peace and she kind of managed to get over it and she found love with Forrest and she throughout the story she kept thinking like that she has the right idea of life and Forrest is wrong but I think she came around in the end I think she was struggling with her own identity I think that's what it was she just 
I don't think she was comfortable with exactly who she was. So she just kept trying to change who she was. And I don't know, I just don't think she was comfortable just sitting by herself, you know? Let me ask you about Forrest Jr. Like, when I saw the movie for the first time, like, I didn't suspect that he might not be Forrest's biological son. And then, you know, a lot of people on the internet have theorized that he's not really Forrest's son and that Jenny, you know, she knows he'll take care of the kid and she uses him in a way. Like, oh, wow. Didn't think about that. Yeah, it's a theory that, that's out there because, like, you know, she, she kind of, she didn't treat Forrest nicely throughout their lives. And when she knows she's dying, she has to find someone to take care of the kid. But I don't know. Like, I later read some interviews with people who worked on the movie and... Like, nor did they mention that it was open for interpretation. Like, I think that in the book as well, Forrest Jr. is clearly Forrest's child. Yeah, do you guys think anything of that? Like, did you suspect anything when you watched it? Or do you believe he's Forrest's son? Or uh, No, I didn't suspect it at all. I, I don't know. When you said it, it kind of... It, it clicks. It clicks a little bit, yeah. I, I'm not willing to accept it, though. You know, I don't think there is any more to read into that. I think his first child, I think Jenny came around. Mm, yeah, I do believe so. Yeah, thinking otherwise, it kind of takes the, the edge out of the movie because that's the conclusion, right? The conclusion is stop being so cynic about life and, and start, you know, taking it with love as far as Ironically, though, if, it, if the movie went on another half hour and it turned out, oh, you know, DNA test or something and turns out it's not his son... Forrest would just be totally, you know, chill with that. He would just say, like, okay, all good. Like, you know, still still, yeah. still, still, still a little kid, still fine. So, so ironically, it would, it would sort of cast a bad light on her character. But on his, it just wouldn't, wouldn't really do much. Wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. In some sense, like, everyone in the movie, like, take, for instance, Lieutenant Dan or something at the start, like, and he's, he's just very furious at, Forrest for not letting him die, and arguably he's probably not a very good person at that point. Like, he's, you know, in terms of the war, I don't think he's doing, like, the moral calculus of, like, how he's saving the most lives. I think he's more concerned with reputation. Yeah. And then after, he's very bitter and, you know, doing things that aren't exactly legal. But, you know, just, he's not a very pleasant person. But then he sort of has a, has a redemption, which happens mostly behind the scenes. And it's actually quite incredible because he goes from a very bitter person to someone who's embracing of, of everything, you know, mm. and almost like enlightened almost. But um, I feel like a little bit of the movie is like everyone is good, but like everyone is also not all powerful. So, like not everyone has like the philosophical like weaponry to actually do what Forrest does, but except he, he's not he's not doing it from some sort of introspective point. It's just his nature, you know? Whereas, yeah. like, Jenny just doesn't have these tools to sort of do this self-assessment and say, well, you know, is this the people I really want to hang out with or is this, you know, the person I actually really want to be? So, she's, she just doesn't possess that ability that he does. Not um, having this sort of ability to look inwards is sort of you wouldn't call someone a bad person because they can't do it because it just it's like you know if everyone so somehow could step outside themselves and choose to do it then then you would think they would so mm. um yeah. and then even if you don't think they would then that's you know then you just go one deeper level and say well they should you know so yeah everyone's sort of open to redemption even if they don't so um it's it's a good point it, it's a very it's a very um, optimistic view of, of humanity, you know. So, everyone is a good person, but 
people run into bad crowds and obviously the madness of crowds and there's bad incentives, you know. So, um, but overall, I think there's some aspect of circumstance. It's like one of those, um, they, they used to be sort of like this idea back in like, I can't remember, but a, lo- a while ago in psychology where it was called like situationalism or something where no one's good or bad. It, everyone's just playing their situation. So, there was like this experiment where like there was all these prisoners and prison guards and some people were prison guards in this fake prison and they would start abusing people. And the, the, the conclusion was, well, if you give someone power and don't tell them how to use it, then they suddenly become bad. And so, it, it, it's, it's, it's sort of a bit messy. But um, I think the point that this movie is trying to make is that like that we're not in a vacuum of good and bad people. I think it, it, there's just people and their situations. You know. Yeah, I really like that. I never, I didn't th- think of that. Yeah. Hmm. Obviously, we we've touched this a little bit earlier, but the storytelling in this movie is really interesting. Like, it's really special. Forrest, he is telling us a story, and we see flashbacks of the things he's talking about. And hmm. in his narration, we see that he doesn't really understand a lot of details. Like, it's 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 very interesting. It's like how he described their house is being built like a thousand years ago or when he thinks Mm. that Elvis was literally a king. And then when we see flashbacks, uh, the flashbacks, it's it's a bit different. Like every detail is there. He just doesn't understand all of them or their importance. You know, he's he's giving out the real story. He's not embellishing anything. He just doesn't Mm. really realize what, what, like he can't understand what the other characters are feeling, you know? Um, Like we as the audience, we see when some of the other characters are feeling or doing something in a certain way, but Forrest often misses it. An example that I like is when Forrest says that even Dan came to watch him play ping pong, but Dan is staring outside of the window, dealing with his own stuff and not even noticing Forrest. I think that gives a lot of opportunities for the audience to catch the differences between the, you know, the cute narration and the visual story. And that's like, I don't know, maybe they didn't think of it like that, but I think it's kind of... um kind of a way to keep the audience engaged you know and i and i felt that it totally helped in keeping this almost two and a half hour movie really light and easy hmm. the, the storytelling as, as you mentioned with the you know dissonances between the narration and and what's happening and and the little jokes that happen meanwhile and and there's probably a graph somewhere about like the the emotion line that goes throughout the movie because it feels very well built, right? You're going up and down and up and down, and but it's not too mm. steep, right? It's always kind of built in and it never goes too deep. You never get really too happy or really too sad. Yeah, it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And, and the characters, like, as you also mentioned, you know, before, like there's something in each of them. You can find something that, that you like. Yeah. That's kind of like... You know, if if I'll compare this to uh, Breaking Bad, for example, for any of you who watched the the TV series, <laughs> you hate everyone there. That's kind of like the charm. You just everyone's a horrible person, and Forrest Gump is kind of like the complete opposite <laughs> of of Breaking Bad. You love everyone, even even when when Lieutenant Dan is an asshole, you still kind of find a way to yeah. to like him. Mm. Yeah. Also, I, I don't know, like the, 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 the way he tells his story and, you know, it's all flashbacks. So kind of the little details in the flashbacks kind of point out the things that were important to Forrest in the moment, you know, like the details that he remembers, the things that stuck to his memory are the things that he he adds to the story, the thing, things he 
doesn't forget to mention. Like, there, there's the two scenes with the bullies who are chasing Forrest that you mentioned, Peter. Like, once as kids and once as high schoolers. And yeah. in both memories, everyone are kind of wearing fairly similar clothes. Like, mm. they're all dressed the same and they're all kind of acting the same. And everything is fairly similar. And the thing that does change is Jenny's clothes. You know, she's wearing a whole different color and her hair is done differently. It's like... The only thing that mattered to him in this memory is is Jenny. Like mm. it's a memory of just any other regular day, and all the details don't matter, but he remembers exactly what Jenny was wearing, and that was important enough to be a part of the story. Uh, it's little details like that that I just love. That's a good point. Does anyone have any sort of favorite parts of the movie, like any particular scenes? I think my favorite one is uh, when he when he gives the speech and and no one hears him and and you know <laughs> at the end, There's uh there's this guy that the guy who kept using the F word yeah. but uh, I guess he's is is well known but I don't have any idea who who that guy is and he's kind of like you said it all brother <laughs> you, you said it all so good. <laughs> that's yeah, that was so funny and and then you see Jenny kind of start start to run in in that um, the reflecting uh, that pool or pool whatever next, it's called yeah next yeah. to the Washington Monument yeah Um, and they meet in the middle and they hug and all the crowd cheers. That that was like really that was good. Yeah, that's good. The my favorite was I don't know why, but I just I thought it was just so refreshing and so different and like a little movie in itself was the um the running. Just it seemed so spur of the moment, which is such a forest thing. It just it was like the most clear demonstration of the everyone's running their own race sort of thing. Um, but also conversely it was everyone's not running their own race because everyone is watching this guy do something that's obviously what he wants to do and instead of everyone just saying well you know what I should do that more often like maybe this weekend I'm just gonna obviously not do a three-year run but let's <laughs> let's do something I like you know but instead <laughs> it's just a crowd of people behind him following his path and then <laughs> he stops in the middle of like, I don't know where it is. I'm sure it's a famous uh, Highway 61 like or something. The, but the Arizona desert or something. Yeah, he's in the middle of a desert and he's like, yeah, that's done. Like that done exactly. He's just so tuned into his own feelings that he just knows when enough is enough. And everyone's just like waiting for him to like say what the universal meaning of life is or something. <laughs> and he just doesn't have the answer. He And it's, I just think it's just the greatest thing how people just follow other people and just expect to have like answers given to them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it like, no one's obviously like, Wondering, like, uh, like people are asking why he's doing it, but no one's like, no one's accepting the simple answer. No one's accepting the answer that he just wanted to, and it's just, it's just fantastic. The first guy who followed him actually says, "I saw you, and I, and I thought, here's someone who has everything sorted out. I should just follow him." <laughs> I know that's wild. I know, but then you realize no one has everything sorted out, and everyone's no. just following everyone in this random way. <laughs> But also the beard and everything just made it like <laughs> yeah. a thousand times funnier. That to me was the moment of like the greatest interaction between the philosophical aspects of the film, but the comedic aspects just perfectly like syncing up then when the, the running is going on. So I totally agree. I think it's my favorite part as well. Like he starts running after Jenny left him again. And like this time he didn't have Bubba anymore and Lieutenant Dan wasn't around. You know, he was in a low place in his life and he just went out and started running. And something he said 
Um, he mentioned like that he, while he spent these years running, he said, I think a lot about Mama and Bubba and Lieutenant Dan, but most of all, I thought about Jenny. And like, when I first saw that bit in the movie, it really hit me. Like, it really struck a chord with me because mm. he spent a few years running and he used that time to think, you know, he thought about things that were the most important, the people in his life that as much as he loves them, some of them hurt him. And he even says, Mama always said that you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And like, I, I think that was the point of the run. You know, he used that time to process and think about all the things he's been through. I think that, you know, the fact that Jenny left him again was too much for him. And he just needed time to think. He couldn't just put it behind him and move on. And, you know, that moment in the film felt like this weird mirror for me because like you guys know but i recently went through a bit of a weird time in my life and a lot of things have changed for me and it's a, it's a lot of things that it still takes some getting used to and like during this last few months whenever i started thinking about everything that happened to me i kind of un unknowingly but i like instinctively put on my headphones and played a podcast or something and I distracted myself from it. Mm. And like, I kind of knew that I was doing it and it definitely didn't feel like a healthy thing to do, but I, I didn't pay much attention to it. And that scene in the movie, like I said, it put a mirror in front of me and made me see what I was doing. Like, you know, Forrest, he knows that it takes more time and effort than the average person to process these things. And, and he takes that time. He takes as much time as it takes to think it over and work it through. And I wish it would have come to me as naturally as it did to him. And I took some inspiration from that scene. Like once I realized what I'm doing, I, I, I tried not to listen to anything when I usually would. Like, you know, when I'm, when I'm, I don't know, working in a lab or when I'm taking the dog out for a walk, I usually would listen to podcasts and, and I tried to stay alone with my thoughts for a change. And sometimes I did manage to do it Sometimes instead of listening to a podcast, I'll listen to like, I don't know, instrumental music, which is less of a distraction, though it mm. still is. And I had a lot of thoughts, you know, like sometimes, sometimes I felt like when I was alone in my thoughts, I was drowning in them a bit. It felt a bit overwhelming, yeah. but, but it's a good thing to do. I totally agree though. Like sometimes I ha I'll have a morning where I just decide for better or worse hint for worse that um <laughs> i don't put on music or a podcast or something and then at midday when i've done about four hours of um you know introspection or something just just because it's just available when you have nothing else to do yeah. i just sometimes i just think well those four hours didn't have to happen like that was just not just a waste of time but actively harming me because that like some people should not reflect on what they um <laughs> you know what their life because it, it can sometimes just be better sort of just living life and not thinking about it all the time because mm. a lot of people nowadays especially with social media are just are going to be constantly critiquing themselves and like they'll go through a period of introspection and like they'll just have a much more pessimistic view of everything but Forrest doesn't have the problem because he it's not clear that he goes deeper. It's more just like he sees that critiquing yourself is futile and he sees that life is as life does. It's not, um, there's nothing to be sort of ashamed of. There's nothing to be regretted. It, it just happens, you know? So I think a lot of people who are, who think they're probably reflecting are sometimes just having some negative thoughts. They're not actually reflecting because often negative thoughts 
a walk in unnoticed into your mind as sort of mm-hmm. introspection when it's not introspection, you know, whereas happy thoughts get accosted at the gate when they come in saying, oh, is this, you know, do I really feel like this? But, you know, as soon as something is like self-critical, then people often just um, assume that that's, that's somehow true about them. So, yeah. but he doesn't have that problem. No. He sort of skips that middle point. Like a lot of people will be self-critical and eventually get over it and start looking clearly um, at what life is like. But he, I don't think he ever goes through that middle period of of self sort of- um, Self-doubting. Yeah, he he doesn't really have his his own doubts about his like abilities or, you know, how like his moral character. He He sort of skips that part and it's more just an interesting experiment of- what a person could be if if that if that was the case. So and it's interesting. Like ever since he was a kid, like Jenny told him to run, and he and running got him into college and got him a degree. And then when he was in the army, they told like Jenny again told him when whenever something bad happens, just turn away and run. And then you know running was the only way to deal with life after Jenny left him again. And um, once he managed to put everything behind him, he stopped running. He just went back home. And I don't know. I mm. really, really like that scene. So the movie is based on a novel, Forrest Gump by Winston Groom from 1986. Uh, let, let me compare a few points between the movie and the book. And, you know, I'd like to know what your opinions about these are. And I haven't read the book, but a few points are mentioned in interviews and stuff with people who worked on the film. So the first thing is that in the movie, the love story between Jenny and Forrest is, is more pronounced, while in the book, um, Forrest's adventures are the main focal point of the story. Mm. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a huge difference. Yeah, I do think it's a huge difference. But and, and in fact, when I first, like just after watching the film, I sort of, before I reflected upon all the more of the deep moments with Jenny, I did sort of think about it as a interesting sort of, I don't know if I don't know if I'm getting this reference right, but it was almost like the the Walter Mitty sort of aspect of it, like the the novel sort of encounters with random things. Um, that's kind of like the feather in the wind part that I I focused on. I was like, wow, look at all like because there's clearly some theme to it of of appearing in historical events. You know, they made like a point to actually get the original footage and. Um, like him with John Lennon on um, the Dick Cavett show in 71. And they're clearly doing a reenactment sort of, or it's not a reenactment. They're sort of like superimposing him into the video. But I I kind of thought that was the point of the movie. But obviously, you don't need to do a movie for that. You can just do YouTube videos and saying, oh, look, I've superimposed Tom Hanks in this (laughs) this video. So I sort of got over that quickly, but I imagine it would be quite, funny in the book but also a bit different because the book is you know you can't do the pixel for pixel sort of reenactment in um in the book you sort of just have to narrate it yeah another big difference is that the book is supposed to be cynical and colder like based on something uh, Zemeckis has said i think that Forrest in the book is not as pure-hearted as he is in the movie and he's supposed to be more opinionated, which, again, seems like a pretty big difference to me. I'm afraid to ask, is he racist? I don't know. I, I didn't go that deep, but maybe. That's a good question. You know, I didn't even think about that. Without having read the book, I'm just going to die on that hill and just say, yeah, I think I think it's better this way. Yeah, I'm really happy that the movie's, you know, 
warm and happy and not really cynical. It's, it's a lot of what makes the movie this movie. You know, it's a lot of what makes this movie kind of special. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that the book is not worth a read just because it's supposed to be cynical and colder. And the movie skips a few chapters in the middle. Like, there's some stuff that happens between the shrimping period in Forrest's life and the point where he meets his son that was omitted from the movie. Like, he has a few adventures that weren't in the movie. Like, it sounds weird, but at a point in the book, he becomes an astronaut, a wrestler, and a chess player. That would have been nice to see, but it was a long movie. Oh, yeah, it's it maybe not as important. <laughs> the whole bit with the running for three years and two months... That was a, a bit in the movie that wasn't in the book. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I know. All of this makes me think that the movie adaptation is not very faithful to the original and that the book might be a whole different kind of experience. I don't know. I, I, I plan to give it a go one day. Hmm. Yeah, I probably will. Is it a long book? Let I think it is, actually. Check. Let me give it a look. I think it's like 400. Yeah, but what's 400 pages compared to like Harry Potter? Yeah, but Harry Potter's Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, it's 250 pages. It's not that long. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I probably would pick it up. Yeah. That's, yeah. Here, here's a, a detail that I, very, I really liked about the movie. Um, on the bus on the way to school, like on the first day of school for uh, Forrest, he meets Jenny. And she asks him about his leg braces. And he says, you know, that his back is crooked and they're supposed to fix him. And he calls these braces, my magic shoes. And later, when Lieutenant Dan arrives for uh, Forrest's wedding, he shows him his prosthetic legs and Forrest calls them magic magic legs. legs. (laughs) I thought it was such a nice little moment. Like they had that in common. I didn't thought about that. That's awesome. Uh, I really, really loved it. Uh, It it makes me feel like Forrest and, and Lieutenant Dan were a bit closer than is shown to us. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel it's important to mention that the actor who played uh, the young Forrest, his name is Michael Connor Humphreys. I thought he was really great. Like he seemed loving. Yeah, and really sweet. fantastic. Yeah. That's the that's the see dead people kid, right? No, no, that's uh, Forrest Junior. I'm talking about young Forrest. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Haley Joel Osmond or something like that. Uh, but anyway, Michael Connor Humphreys, uh, the the young Forrest. I don't know. He seemed. Like the perfect actor to do it. He he's he seems loving and sweet and slow and and kind of like current day Forrest. I think that Tom Hanks said that he based Forrest's accent on Humphrey's accent, which I don't know, probably helped in making them you know feel like the same person. But I thought he was great. So this is one of those movies that I think um, if you would take the Forrest Gump approach to watching it and not sort of think too hard about it and just accept it for what it is, I think it's fantastic. But if you want to do a deep dive, and it, like you can't even really go that deep because a lot of it is just life is what life is. Like they're not trying to create more meaning than probably what what there really is. They're just making a little bit more explicit. And if you want to do that and try to apply things to your life, taking almost like a Buddhist approach, like trying not to change things that aren't in your power, but you know trying to take. Um, a new perspective of things. I think I think it's fantastic for that as well, and just adding to that all the movie things you have to say, which is the script, fantastic. The acting, fantastic. The this the way it was shot is also fantastic, and the scoring slash the music, which was all American bands. Yeah, such a great soundtrack. Fantastic as well. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just one of those films that's just really balanced and really really well made, and they're not. They're not sort of trying to cut corners to give you some sort of epiphany. They're really letting you come to it on your own. And 
I think I think the thing it does probably best is just it, it it's sort of letting you experience the feather. You you get to be almost like the feather in the wind huh. because you get to be like the fly in the wall to all these different events. A lot of them are sort of historical things, and you just get to have all the data almost, but in in probably like a less um, raw way. It's more like you get to breathe in this guy's whole life and you can make an assessment on it you know and i think that's it's it's just a really sort of satisfying way to sort of do a deep dive onto someone that's living sort of like an interesting way so you could almost do it's almost set not in a documentary way but you're you're definitely sort of just saying like oh look how this person lives and then you get two and a half hours of just examples of how someone's thinking about life and applying these principles that they don't necessarily couldn't even articulate themselves but you as the viewer can sort of um, make those connections and i think i think it does everything really well to be honest as as a movie as sort of just a dialogue so yeah fantastic i totally agree and you know a lot of things could have gone wrong with this because it's it's a complicated story to tell and it's these are complicated characters to present to the audience and if it wasn't tom hanks i think the original actor that was supposed to do that was offered the role of Forrest Gump was John Travolta oh, and I just wow. can't imagine him doing the character to, to I can't see him bringing the character to the same standard as Tom Hanks did mm. like so many things could have gone wrong with this movie and it was just perfect like I said it, it was balanced but the bar was so high John, Tra- John Travolta it's just like there's Tom not Hanks many is, worse things I can think of, to be honest. Yeah, like Tom Hanks is is lovable, you know. It's he's kind of warm, and yeah, and John Travolta is kind of like cool and and sharp and complete yeah. opposite. A bit creepy. What about like a Sylvester Stallone, um, Forrest <laughs> Gump? <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. I I think like I know this movie for ages, and it was a great opportunity to to go back and and discuss it and and actually like rediscover it, and hmm. that that was. I, I love that feeling when you think you know something well and then you you just experience it in a in a whole different way. Yeah, that's why I don't mind doing stuff for the the podcast. You know, we're we're kind of doing this podcast to discover new things and go out of our comfort zones. But even if we do something that I I already know, I wouldn't mind doing a deeper dive into. Mm. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to dive deeper and talk about it with you. Yeah, exactly. The the processing part that we we do here is kind of like for me it's it's most of the fun because yeah. like also hear your opinions about it and it's it's very stimulating i felt like i rediscovered this this movie again and and i had this whole brand new appreciation for for the actors and the plot and and i got to say that the cgi kind of blew my mind I, I, it was much better the than i remember the ping pong was amazing yeah i i just I, I was like no one can obviously do that yeah. so this cgi is great but i just don't see how they're doing it it's so. like cgi yeah. picked in 93 94 with jurassic park and forrest gump and then went away for yeah. a while yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. even in jurassic park 2 and 3 it wasn't good it was just the first and the thing with the ping pong where it seems that he's you know he's patting it and 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 then he grabs the ball put it on the on the table and say yes sir yes sir get the feeling that he's, he's actually doing it that's crazy it feels natural yeah i i was really i enjoyed myself i also i really love this movie i'm really happy that we've watched it 
uh, for the podcast. Like you said, Barrio, um, if I, I, I would have watched that movie at some point. And if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have had to find people who were interested in talking about that movie because that movie stuck in my head for a while. I, I needed this release. Um, I totally agree with what you said. And I love the story. I love the characters. I loved all of the real-life events that were shown in the movie. And like I said, this movie broke my feelings for a period of time there. It hit me. When I was watching a video on YouTube about this European football player who was now trying to play in the NFL, and I was rooting so hard for that guy, and I, I almost welled up with tears, and it wasn't even a touching or even a special story at all. Uh, I'm not usually like that. There was some blockage that got yeah. um, <laughs> that was <laughs> removed and everything, so yeah. it just came out. Yeah, definitely. Real men cry. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that I cried a bit in each of the times that I watched that movie. Like the, the moment where he finds out about Forrest Jr. And, or when he's talking to Jenny after she died. Gut-wrenching moments. Yeah. And I, I've read some criticism about the movie. And I don't, th- I don't think it's perfect, the movie. But I feel that most of the points uh, criticize its political message or other things that are, I don't know, to me, they are just less important and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really agree with all these criticism. I, I'll say it again. I don't think that this movie is perfect, but I, I don't keep a list of my favorite movies. But if I did, this probably would have cracked the top 10. Mm-hmm. Great, great stuff. Yeah. So as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Forrest Gump has a place in the Cold Request Essentials Guide. We will each have a chance to persuade each other and state our case for or against Forrest Gump's induction to the Quag, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. Ooh. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. I We always do this Quag vote, and I never mentioned the fact that there's the Quag in the in a website, culturequestpodcast.com. You can go there and check out all the things we've voted about and, and see what got into the Quag. I'll let you know that this is another movie that is preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. <laughs> what, what, what was the last one? I think it was Jurassic. No, no, no. Uh, it was either Jurassic Park or Jaws. So with that in mind, let's have a vote. Who wants to state their case first? Um, I'm happy to state my case. Um, okay, so my case is that it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tipping my hat. <laughs> You're not even waiting. No. <laughs> Bio? A sec before that, I'll say that because it's so great and it became such a cultural asset, then you can also see a lot of references to it. Like so probably, many. probably the 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 most obvious one is Run Forest Run, which is like everywhere. I remember when we were in in elementary school. Every time I saw anybody run, someone would yell out "Run Forest Run," no matter what it was for. Like yeah. no reason for it at all. <laughs> yeah, and so so yeah, like it's another piece of culture that if you give it a chance, you it will give you uh, the tools to experience other things yeah. in a more uh, uh, holistic way. Totally agree. Uh, so to finish this, definitely uh, a big tip of the hat. This is great stuff. I'll let you guys tip the hat before everyone's made their case this time because I really don't have too much to say. Like I don't know. I really love this movie. I also think it would be a perfect fit with the other Quag members. That's a tip of the hat for me as well. So, yeah, uh, Forrest Gump, welcome to the Quag. I think it's the second episode in a row that we've uh, inducted to the Quag. And I don't know, maybe we're too positive because, no, you know what? A third of what we've, we, we voted on 
gets voted in. So it's not too much, right? Yeah, I think it's just, you, you I think it's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it's also like important to take in mind that to begin with, we we go to things that we heard good stuff about, right? We're not picking randomly. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a major classic. It's fucking Forrest Gump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our next episode. Next time you'll be hearing from us will be a bit different. We're not watching a movie, or we're not listening to a music album, and we're not reading a book for our next episode. Instead, we're going to look at what we've done so far and what we've learned on this quest because our next episode is the Culture Quest One Year Party episode. <laughs> That's right. We've been doing this for a whole year now, and I think it's time to take a minute to talk about uh, what we've been doing, uh, something we haven't done since, I don't know, like six episodes ago uh, in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide episode and the trivia episode before that. So, <laughs> I mean, we stop and talk about what, what we've done fairly often, but it's our podcast's one-year birthday, so I think it's only fitting. Hmm. Um, here's what we'll be doing. We'll do a bit of a breakdown of what we've done so far. Like, I'm almost certain we've done more movies than anything else, but, you know, it would be interesting to look at the numbers and really see how everything breaks down. And we'll also see what each of us tends to choose. Like, you know, which one of us chooses obscure things and which one of us goes for the classics. And... We'll take a look at the Quag in a very non-competitive kind of way <laughs> and see which one of us has chosen the most subjects that were voted into the Quag. Uh, we'll see what else uh, we'll do. Like, we might bring up our favorite tavern talks or intro bits. Uh, we might discuss uh, what subjects stuck with us the longest. We might discuss our favorite moments from the show. Uh, we, might, uh, we might crown a winner of something as well. <laughs> yeah, the, in the Peter scale, again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll each bring a cucumber and taste it on the show and see if it's bitter. <laughs> yeah, we're still planning what we're going to do, uh, but it's going to be a festive, a fun episode, uh, a one-year party. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye, guys. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam, the provocateur. And we are the Spy Hards Podcast. Together we go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decode the best and worst of spy cinema. Will the film make the knock list? Well, Cam, what is the knock list? The knock list is the need to see official classics of the Spy Hearts podcast. We are curating the ultimate list of spy films. And so we're going to bounce all over the place from James Bond to Jason Bourne to who knows what and determine whether they belong in the pantheon of all time great spy films. That's right. So join us every Tuesday on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Spy Hearts. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S. But until then, listeners, good luck. Among the Shadows.